Hello everyone, welcome to the Like the World Podcast, and I'm your host, LT World, and on this channel we talk about the things people don't like to talk about. We talk about politics, we talk about religion, and we talk about ideologies. If that sounds like something you're into, join us as we take a look at the things that drive culture. Do you really despise religious beliefs? I despise people whose belief in religion is so firm it justifies killing people. Inside, 39 members of the Heaven's Gate cult had taken their own lives. Once in a while I get people that really claim they don't believe in evolution. And my response generally is, why not? We can't even begin to describe a living creature in anything resembling precise terms. Where do the laws of physics come from? It's, it's a question that doesn't work for me on multiple levels of analysis. Does God exist? Today's topic is probably the most well-known topic when it comes to the argument about God. It is the topic of evil. And the reason why it's so popular is because it's so emotionally charging and very, very personal. Everyone out there, to a certain extent, has experienced what they may consider evil or what we would call evil. It could be something as small as a lie or a punch or something major and traumatic like rape or abuse. Whatever it may be, it seems like evil is all around us because of this age of media and news. A bombing in Europe is worldwide news within seconds or a terrorist attack in the United States is headlines around the world overnight. It seems like evil is everywhere and we cannot escape it because we are aware of what's happening around the world all the time. And for that reason, People are often scared, anxious, frustrated, and this often turns to the argument and the questioning of does God exist or who is God or what is morality and these different types of questions. So let's dive into this topic and see where it leads us. Let's first start by actually defining our term. What is evil? An evil for a technical definition is something that's considered profoundly wicked and immoral. This is based on uh, Webster de definitions and so forth. Another way of putting it is evil is something that is considered wrong or viewed as not right. And why is this seen as a problem? Why is evil so problematic? And one, the first reason being, as I already said, is that evil is traumatic. It's emotionally traumatic. It's emotionally charging and there's emotional baggage that comes with it. So we just feel an absolute rage about evil normally or sadness or whatever it may be. And the second one, and this is where we'll dive into especially, is a lot of people think it's logically not feasible for a good God who's all-powerful to exist if there's evil in the world. Let's dive into this topic and let's dive into the arguments against God from the stance of evil and then we'll see some of the objections and we'll go back and forth a little bit. So let's dive into the arguments. Normally when it comes to the argument that God could not exist because evil exists, it goes something like this. This is from the Stanford um, Encyclopedia of Philosophy. The epistemic question posed by evil is whether the world contains undesirable states of affairs that provide the basis for an argument that makes it unreasonable to believe in the existence of God. I know that probably sounds like Greek to a lot of people. Here's a more of a layman's term to put it, or an easier way to put it. And it's like a six-step argument, like some different arguments we covered on this podcast and on this channel. Uh, number one, a perfectly powerful being can prevent evil, any evil. Number two, a perfectly good being will prevent evil as far as he can. Number three, good God is perfectly powerful and good. Number four, so if there's a perfectly powerful and good God exists, there would be no evil. Number five, there is evil. Number six, therefore God does not exist. And so the crux of the matter boils down to 
if God, why evil? And on a very, I guess you could say, common sense level, it seems like an obvious contradiction. If God is all-powerful and all-good, he should and would intervene. Like, that's just, if he saw evil happening and he, he was able to stop evil from happening, he would. That's just, it generally would be an understanding principle. This makes sense from a common sense level for judicial reasons. So, for instance, if I, as a bystander, had the ability to intervene in a murder and to stop a murder, and I had the ability to, and I knew for sure I could do it, but I didn't, that would be considered wrong. And in some cases within law, um, bystanders and people who don't intervene or um, onlookers can potentially be charged um, depending on the circumstances and so forth. So even within our judicial laws, even within our countries, even within moral common sense understanding by a lot of people is that bystanders or people who can stop evil and don't are complicit to a certain extent. And using this sort of plain logic it doesn't, it's not hard to follow that we would apply the same sort of logic to God or God would do the same thing, that if he was good and he was able to stop evil, he should and is morally obligated to do so. However, normally where the objections rise from the other side on this topic comes with the second premise within the argument, the fact that a good, a good being would intervene against evil in all possible situations that they could. A lot of religions, for instance, Christianity and Islam, would say that that is not the case, that God doesn't necessarily need to intervene every time evil pops up its ugly head. And that's because premise number two assumes that God has no good reason for allowing evil to happen on this world. It is an assumed principle, and there's really not a way to prove one way or the other. Um, if God could or could not have a good reason. It's primarily an argument from um, ignorance, if you will. And to use a practical argument to, I guess, argue against the other practical point that people often propose on the other side is as parents, parents often allow their children to do things that um, they know, that put them in situations, allow them to be in situations, allow them to do things or to, that they know is going to probably lead to evil, lead to bad situations, lead to mistakes, and lead to injury and different things like that. Parents allow that to happen for their kids, and they don't always intervene even when a kid messes up or makes a mistake or sins or does whatever it is. They don't always intervene, and they give them a level of freedom because they find that freedom and giving children choice is important for development and for growth. Or they believe that freedom and choice is more important than um, complete restriction and um, intervention and control. So even on a practical level, we see this playing out in our own social dynamics as human beings, that there is times where we allow people to make decisions, even though we know they're going to make evil and bad decisions and make mistakes along the way because of some sort of value of freedom and choice and growth and decision making. Although there are more philosophical objections that arise from the theistic side of the fence, and the most common one that arises against the objection of why you, if evil, why God, um, or if God, why evil, the common objection that arises from a philosophical standpoint goes something like this. To understand what good and evil is, is there has to be some sort of objective moral law. For there to be some sort of objective moral law, there has to be a moral law giver, a, a universal moral law giver. And for there to be a moral universal law giver, that would, Im that would imply that there is a God, some sort of ultimate conscious being governing the world from a moral standpoint, who is 
all good, presumably. Of course, there are numerous objections that come against this argument. We're only going to cover a couple. There are many different ways we could take this conversation. And I am thinking I might make a part two or I might expand upon this topic down the road at some point. But I'm just going to cover some of the most basic ones and some of the most common arguments that arise out of this sort of debate. And the first objection that normally arises when it comes to the theistic side of the fence when they propose that morality and good and these concepts of good and evil and stuff could only exist if God existed or some sort of moral law giver existed in a universal sense. Normally the first argument comes from the idea that why must we assume there is objective morality? You are only assuming that there's objective morality and there's no reason to believe that. And there's a few reasons why this is proposed, and one being from people like Richard Dawkins, who would say that morality is evolved. Presumably, as humans evolved, their brains evolved, and as they became more intelligent, they became um, they started developing behaviors that were conducive for survival. So, for instance, murder, um, earlier civilizations would have realized murder is not conducive for survival. They would have resisted or refrained from murder. And then eventually over time, this habit became a mindset. This mindset became a moral implication. This moral implication led to feelings of guilt and so forth. And there's just a moral evolution. There was just an evolution throughout time that eventually led to morality developing or sprouting up. And therefore, there, you don't need to you don't need to posit that there is a objective morality. Morality has just simply evolved. It's just behavior and chemicals in the brain, and it's different for everyone. So it's just based on evolution. There isn't an objective moral law. There's just evolved moral principles. The biggest weakness of this argument is probably the lack of evidence of it even existing when it comes from an evolutionary standpoint. As far as we know from the earliest written material that we have from developed human civilizations, the earliest written material, the earliest recording material, there were already at those points of time well-developed, well-structured moral laws, precepts, and concepts. We observe complex social structures with complex moral laws. It, there is no evidence of necessarily a slow, gradual development from small moral principles to large moral so societies there tends to be just a sign of more complex moral societies from the earliest known written history and records that we can can see. So from an evidential standpoint in regard to the evolution of morality, it just doesn't have strong basis on just a standpoint of what we can observe. And plus from a practical standpoint, there's a couple things that seem to get in the way. One being it's hard to imagine that if evolution was the reason for morality, that every culture around all the world disassociated from one another would have evolved at a very similar pace. It appears, at least, that civilization all evolved these moral complex moral societies and structures and laws and religions um, from across the different globes without any interaction with each other for centuries and thousands of years and millions of years, if even, and that... Um, that they all developed moral laws and moral societies and they all developed morality and they all developed, to a certain extent, relatively similar principles, it's pretty hard to believe that would be the case. But again, that would just be a basis on um, coincidence. Still, it's hard to believe that all of them in these different pockets of civilization would have developed at the same rate, same time, with similar moralities. It's kind of hard to fathom. And just because human behavior develops or would evolve doesn't necessarily mean it follows that feelings of guilt, consciousness, and other sorts of feelings of I ought to or ought not to would necessarily arise from that sort of habitual behavior. There could be mechanical actions that arise without any sort of conscious application to those actions and behaviors. 
So it doesn't necessarily always follow that you would need morality to come from some sort of pattern of behavior and so forth. And before jumping into the next objection, I will make a note that there are other arguments revolving around this topic of morality evolving. Um, some a reference from a theistic standpoint would be C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity, where he does talk about this topic as well. And I'll be referencing C.S. Lewis later in this episode as well. So, And there's other books from the other side with Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking and um, th where they talk about how you can track evolution and it can show moral development. So you can check out some few different authors. They do delve into these topics deeper. We're just gracing the surface on this episode. Now, jumping into the next topic, the next objection, I should say, is that we already kind of referenced it a little bit, but if there are different moralities from all across the world and every culture has a different sort of set of values, why do we assume that there is objective morality? So for instance, within the US, as it currently stands, euthanasia is considered illegal in most cases, if not all cases, by what I understand at least. I don't know any states that euthanasia is legal in. And, but this is not the case in all countries, in Canada and in some European countries, euthanasia is allowed in certain circumstances, in some places it's more lenient than others. And in general, within those countries where euthanasia is allowed, it's becoming less and less of a moral problem. In the states, people still view euthanasia as something that's wrong. And there's other definitely cases of this, cases like abortion, cases like a lot of your political issues that are hot debate is based on the fact that people have different moral values. And since morals and people, what they think is evil or wrong, differ across the world, it often goes that if this is the case, it's hard to believe that there would be an objective moral law because presumably everyone would to would believe similar morals or believe the same sort of things. Normally the two objections that arise from the other side of the fence, on the theistic side of the fence, go something like this. The, the first one, the first objection that normally arises towards this sort of logic is that just because people have different answers to a problem doesn't mean that there isn't an objective answer that does truly exist. So for instance, we can observe the physical realm. So for instance, we can do, so there can be different theories on scientific principle, but only one of them would stand to be true, or maybe a mixture of them together would stand to be true. Or mathematics, one plus one equals two, and that's an objective answer, even if there are several different answers that people propose to that question. It doesn't mean that there isn't an actual answer. It just means that people are confused or are wrong. And the way that we sort of know, and the way that you can kind of think about it is that we can observe the physical world. Therefore, we know there's such a thing as science. And But you have to get better at science. You have to study it and learn it and develop at it. Same way, we can observe good and evil, and we can recognize it. And, but the only, and so therefore we know there is morality, but the only way to better understand it is to study it, delve into it, and look into it. And the second objection that normally arises to this is that actually moralities across the world aren't as different as we think. There are differences in details, but not really differences within the base root of things. And C.S. Lewis, as I said, I'm going to reference him here, um, does talk about this in his book, Mere Christianity. I'll, I'll read you a chunk of what he has to say about this topic. And now this is from page 14 of Mere Christianity. From, by C.S. Lewis. I, con I conclude then that though the difference between people's ideas of decent behavior often make you suspect that there is no real natural law of behavior at all, yet, yet the things we are bound to think about these differences really prove just the opposite. But one word before I end, I have met people who exaggerate the differences because they have not distinguished between differences of morality and differences of belief about facts. For example, one man said to me, 300 years ago, people in England were putting witches to death. 
Was that what you call the rule of human nature or right conduct? But surely the reason we do not execute witches is that we do not believe there are such things. If we did, if we really thought that there were people going about who had sold themselves to the devil and received supernatural powers from him in return and were using these powers to kill their neighbors to drive or drive them mad or bring bad weather, surely we would all agree that if anyone deserved the death penalty, then these filthy queaslings did. There is no difference of moral principle here. The difference is simply about matter of fact. It may be a great advance in knowledge not to believe in witches. There is no moral advance in not executing them when you do not think they are there. You would not call a man humane for ceasing to set mousetraps if he did so because he believed there were no mice in the house. And a, another section of the book on page 5, he also goes on to say this. But this is not true. There have been differences between their moralities, but these have never amounted to anything. And when he says these, like different cultures and stuff. Uh, never amounted to anything. Like a total difference. If anyone will take the trouble to compare the moral teachings of, say, the ancient Egyptians, Babylonians, Hindus, Chinese, Greeks, and Romans, what will really strike them, what will really strike him will be how very like they are to each other and to our own. Some of the evidence for this I have put together in the appendix of another book called The Abolition of Man. But for our present purpose, I need only ask the reader to think what totally different moralities would mean. Think of a country where people were admired for running away in battle or where a man felt proud of the devil crossing all the people who had been kindest to him. You might just as well try to imagine a country where two and two made five. Men have differed as regards what people you ought to be unselfish to, whether it was only your own family or your fellow countrymen or everyone, but they have always agreed that you ought not to put yourself first. Selfishness has never been admired. Men have differed as to whether you should have one wife or four, but they have always agreed that you must not simply have any woman you like. So all that mere Christianity and C.S. Lewis logic to say is that his point is morality at the base root is often very similar across societies. It's just the details and the facts that make the difference. And in general, this seems to be observably true and true and consistent with human experience. And as I said, today we're just raising the surface. We're just grazing the surface of the conversation about evil. And so I'm going to leave it at those arguments for now. Now, before we head into our conclusion, though, I will make one more point. And it's sort of an argument, I suppose, but it's more of just a concern, I would say, um, from my standpoint, whenever I look at this topic and I observe this concern from other thinkers and philosophers and logicians from around the, the world. And my concern is that if people would stop believing God and then consequently stop believing in objective morality, and specifically in objective morality that actually has long-term or eternal consequences, it would not be hard for me to imagine a world that becomes very corrupt and very wicked and evil and uh, honestly just kind of destroys itself. A lot of times this is derided, and oftentimes um, people like Sam Harris, for instance, in his book, Letter to a Christian Nation, points out all the evil that religion has caused. So he references to crusades, he references to some different evil occurrences that have happened because of religious reasons or religious motivation or within religious societies that claim to have some sort of set of moral laws and principles. And I am not going to argue with the point of that religion has caused many evils because it's true. Many religious people have justified evil for the purposes of their religions or for purposes of their belief. And now granted to the notion, granted to the facts that C.S. Lewis pointed out that sometimes, for instance, they did believe in witches, which was just a false premise, but on the basis of that premise, it would make sense then to kill witches, quote unquote, if they were who they, who they believe they were. Sometimes it is the facts that need to change and not always the underlying moral principles that back those beliefs, if that makes sense. So it's not always the moral principles that are wrong as much as the facts, but I will not deny the premise. I will not deny the point that people have used religious reasoning to commit evil and atrocities. Sam Harris goes as far to argue that the benefits of religion are outweighed by the evil that religion has caused. I did not do a in-depth analysis. And honestly, most of that analysis would be rather subjective to 
anyone. It would be it would just be very subjective and very hard to calculate how much benefit, how much negativity has religion offered to the world. And arguably saying that something saying that um murder is a negative and then healing people is a positive is also in of yourself positing a moral code into that reasoning anyway. So then you have to go back to your premise of how are you able to determine what's negative and what's beneficial um, without using a moral law and then becoming circular in your reasoning. Again, I digress. But he would argue that religion has proposed a lot of evil. And I'm not going to deny that premise. But as David Berlinski pointed out in his book, The Devil's Delusion, um, where he sort of combats a lot of new atheists and their reasonings, he points out the fact that in the 20th century, um, uh, atheistic dictators like in the Soviet Union, the Chinese, the, the Chinese Republic and poverty and the Nazis and stuff like that, a lot of irreligious people committed much more tr atrocities and much more murder and much more wickedness and rampant wickedness within the 20th century than any religious group during that time. And many religious groups combined over the past few centuries even. They killed more people and tortured more people than has ever been done within any other century of history. And as David Berlinski said in his book, and I quote, What Hitler did not believe, and what Stalin did not believe, and what Mao did not believe, and what the SS did not believe, and what the Gestapo did not believe, and what the NKVD did not believe, and what the commissars and functionaries and swaggering executioners, Nazi doctors, communist party theoreticians, intellectuals, brown shirts, black shirts, and galateers and thousand party hacks did not believe was that God was watching and what they were doing. And then later on he says, that is, after all, the meaning of a secular society. And a lot of times this is derided by atheists or people who are agnostic because, hey, I'm a nice person and a lot of secular people are nice people or decent to be around. And I won't argue with that. I have a lot of friends who are, are agnostics or atheists and I get along perfectly fine with them and we have good conversations and we hang out and have fun and stuff like that. So I'm not going to disagree necessarily with that point. But my concern is if that becomes a general belief, a general belief that there is no God and then that there is consequently no moral law, that it will eventually lead to worse human behavior. And if we're using the logic of, if we grant the premise that morality is evolved or morality can evolve and evolves with time, it's not a stretch to say that as the religious moral principles and fabrics that were developed, that murder is wrong because God's watching, that rape is wrong, and that all these different things are wrong because God said you ought not to do them, and that you will be blessed eternally if you do them, or different things, if you, you'll be cursed eternally if you do them, or different things like that, that these moral principles and fabrics that were developed primarily by religion, if they would be completely eroded due to the non-belief in religion and God, and you simply are moral because of the um, residue of religion, eventually that residue would wear off and you will just believe that there is no God, believe that there is no object of morality, and in reality I can do whatever I want without any sort of consequence. And that the type of society that will most likely create is not a good one, and the type of society that will create is people pursuing their worst passions and creating a corrupted society. Now that is just my concern and obviously I could be wrong. And a lot of people would criticize that point by saying it's a slippery slope fallacy. But in my experience and by observing history, a lot of times people only criticize the slippery slope fallacy while they're on top of the hill. I know today's topic was heavy, but I thank you guys for tuning in. I thank you everyone for listening and leave comments down below, leave ratings down below and let me know 
what you think about this conversation. Let me know what you think about this topic, where you think I could improve upon my arguments, or where you think I went wrong, or where you think I went right, or different things like that. Let's have good conversations down below about this topic. Like always, I encourage it because, hey, none of us are perfect and we're all learning here. Uh, but thank you for tuning in. If you like what you saw, leave a comment, leave a like, and subscribe, and join the Like the World community um, where we continue to try to explore religions, explore different beliefs, and continue to understand this world better and become more educated and well-rounded in our experiences and in our knowledge. So thank you for joining. And as always, everyone, I just want you guys to go out there and light the world, my friends.